This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. A few things before we move into the interview. First, I'd like to welcome a new Patreon supporter, Jabari Lee, and also thank Michael Shub for increasing your pledge. Brig, you not only became a new supporter, but also increased your pledge. Thank you for both of those. I'd also like to thank Elise Bio for your recent donation. That allowed me to go and have dinner with a dear friend, who I've not really spent time with in nearly a year. You allowed the two of us to catch up before he leaves for Kentucky for a few months. Thank you for that. It meant a lot to me. I offer these thanks because I know that often the front-facing side of the show is about the new episodes, or the occasional posts to social media, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. But the support of listeners actually creates so much more than that, because you give me the time and space to talk with anyone who calls the number for the show, to answer their questions, or just to chat about permaculture. One recent conversation that I had was about natural building, and how to accomplish the listener's building goals within the context of the codes and laws within Pennsylvania. You also let me send detailed emails to anyone who writes in. If you've never written in with a question, my responses are not one or two sentences or just a couple of links. I go into a lot of detail with a combination of my own thoughts and opinions on certain things, as well as where people can find resources who they might want to talk to to pursue their ideas, and so much more. Recently, that's included connecting folks with what they needed to look at creating their own intentional community, and also what someone could do to get their hands dirty and pursue a right livelihood. And though I know I'm a storyteller, as that's my role as the host, which allows me to draw answers out of the guests and then weave that together with all of the other interviews you've heard on the show, I do mean it without any hyperbole that you truly make the world a better place and directly impact lives and ecosystems all across the globe by caring for the show and supporting it in the gift economy. Thank you. Also, I'd like to let you know that Jude Hobbs is offering a $50 discount to podcast listeners who would like to attend the upcoming teacher training from July 22nd to the 28th at Wilson Creek Gardens in Cottage Grove, Oregon. This is where I took my teacher training with Jude, Andrew Millison, and Rico Zook. All you need to do to save on this course is to mention that you heard this announcement on the podcast when you register. Would you like more information and to download the registration form? Visit thepermaculturepodcast.com slash teacher training or by using the link in the show notes. You can also make a difference for the show and the world by visiting thepermaculturepodcast.com slash support. My guest today is Paul Hellier of Fair Food Forager as we start an ongoing series of conversations to talk about what we can do to reduce waste, change our consumption patterns, and decrease our ecological footprint. To get this series going, we begin by looking at what we can do to eliminate single-use plastic, and some of the strategies for slowing down, living more intentionally, and continuing to connect with one another and the world around us. We take a discussion of trash and waste, and turn it into one of cleanup, care, and celebration. Enjoy this conversation with Paul, and I'll join you again afterward. Since you've been on the show before, when we did the interview about Fair Food Forager, I don't need to ask you about your biography and background, as I'll make sure to point people to our earlier conversation if they want to learn a little bit more about you and your work. But as we get started here, could you give us a little bit of an update about what's been happening with you and that project since the last time we spoke? And then we can talk about what people can do to reduce waste. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Look, we're just continuing business as usual, trying to figure out more ways that we, we can reach people. Uh, we've just 
actually started testing the new version of the app, which is super exciting. It looks better and it has a social feed and it's going to have some extra little features like better search function. So if you've got an iPhone, that's step one. Android will be coming. And that everything else that was good about the old app will still be a feature of the new one. So that's probably the most, you know, the thing that's kept us the most busy recently. Something exciting that's coming up is in June this year, we'll be riding push bikes from Hanoi to Bangkok with Intrepid Travel and uh, trying to avoid plastic as we go and, and meeting groups on the ground who are doing what they can to change the dialogue around single-use plastic. And it's why I wanted to talk with you today because of your work and, if you will, campaign to end single-use plastic. And then I think about all the other materials that come in when it comes to packaging and other things, and I'm always on the lookout for what we can do to reduce the trash we produce, because I think that the more we can work on reducing our footprint and increasing our handprint, that we can accomplish many of the goals of regenerative practices through those means, and that all of us have a role to play in that through our lifestyle choices. Any place we can find an area for entry is really good for that. But right now, with all the information about microplastics in the oceans, and I'm reading more and more about the fibers that are coming off of fleece clothing, I'm interested in the things you'll be doing as part of that campaign to avoid those plastics, and then talk more about what you see as the direction that we can go from here. Yeah, the fact that you say that is... It's really interesting. I think I'm definitely starting to notice a big change in the last, you know, 12 months or so where if I talked about this five years ago, half the people I talked to wouldn't have cared or known what I was on about. Uh, And I feel like the information that's coming out now and what's happening on social media or in the mainstream media is that people are starting to become aware of the issue of plastic. And businesses are changing the way they operate, which is going to make it easier for us to make better choices. And we can speed that up by supporting those guys and, um, you know, doing what, what we can. Like you say, just reducing our footprint by doing tiny little things that will become easier for us as we get more and more used to them. As you work on reducing and eliminating these one-use plastics, what are some of the examples of that type of material that you're encountering? One that for me comes immediately to mind is a drinking straw which my understanding is currently there's no real way to recycle those. But I also think about packaging that has no plastic codes on it. I don't know how it is elsewhere, but here in the United States, most of our plastics, whether they're soft or hard, have a number with a recycling symbol around them, and that tells us what kind of a plastic they are, which helps to get them into the recycling system. But I know from other conversations that, you know, even though those plastics may go to a recycling center, it doesn't mean that that plastic is going to get passed on because it may not be economical at the time. But for you and your work, what are you focusing on? For us and and with Fair Food Forager, those type of things that consumers come across on a daily basis are the easiest way that we can start making a change. And plastic straws are a perfect example. Like I've had so many conversations about straws in the last few days. I know the last plastic straw in the US and the Plastic Pollution Coalition, for example, have campaigns, straw-free days and straw-free months coming up this year. And, you know, when did we get so addicted to straws that now we can't drink out of a can or or a glass or a bottle without a straw? And just because this is a habit that was kind of formed fairly recently where, you know, when I was a child, a straw was a 
kind of a big deal. We had a the big curly straw and it came out on your birthday and I think my mum washed it and it went back in the cupboard for another year. Whereas now it's just automatically put in your glass and, and you haven't even asked for it. We need to break that habit and how we can break that habit is by just saying no straw and I, I don't want a straw with my drink, please. And the businesses can also save money by not offering them up automatically. That's quite probably the quickest way that a business can make a change is just instead of voluntarily putting two in your glass or one in your glass, don't put any in your glass. And if they must, they can have them there and the customers can ask for it. And they'll probably instantly find that half the customers won't want one. And so they can straight away start saving money and saving waste become easier for us because we don't need to feel insecure about speaking to the waitress or the waiter. But no, we don't want to. We don't want a straw. And and you can do that across the board with with so many other things. You know, like when you're at a supermarket, being asked for a bag. Do you want a bag? And you've only got one thing. Or um, if you get caught without your coffee cup and you and you don't have time to sit down. Can you drink it without the lid? You know, there's lots of little things. You can carry your own straw, like a stainless steel straw or a bamboo straw in your bag, drink bottles, all sorts of things. And it's interesting for me that you share that anecdote about your life, about when straws became commonplace and were no longer kind of a big deal. Because I remember that as well. And and to date myself a little, I was born in the late 70s. And so remember through most of my childhood, if we were getting anything portable, it was in a can. Bottles were big, 16-ounce glass containers, and they were kind of heavy and substantially more expensive. So they were kind of a rarity. And that whenever we would go out somewhere, everything was served in a glass. Okay, maybe there were some big red plastic cups at a Pizza Hut or something like that. But most of the restaurants or even at home, it was in glass or occasionally a metal container. The only time I remember getting a straw, though, was if we would wind up stopping somewhere for a convenience food or something. But even then... That was relatively uncommon when I was growing up. We were cooking at home a lot or packing sandwiches to take with us. And I wonder if it's something to do with this conversion or transfer away from time at home and in those kind of familial or friendly settings. But now that we're on the go all the time, you walk into a convenience store and they have a big drink fountain there where you can get anything you want. And of course, it's in a big plastic cup designed to go in your vehicle and how the straw is there to make it easy to drink on the go. And also, I don't know with how it is where you live, how much of a car culture you have, but certainly here in the United States, I've also been watching the number of cup holders increase in my cars over the years. From my first, an old Volvo built in the 80s, which had no cup holder to speak of, to now my minivan, which has something like 12 or 14 cup holders in it. I would tend to agree with that. We're roughly the same age, and I don't remember going out for too many takeaway meals or drinks or anything when I was a kid. It was probably more the picnic type situation where you, the family would pack a lunch and you'd go somewhere to eat it. Whereas now almost everything has a, a takeaway option just about, even even your favorite restaurants. Yeah, and perhaps, you know, we're, we're being told now we need to slow down. And are we really all that important that we can't sit down and enjoy our coffee and watch the world go by you know it probably only takes 10 minutes to drink a coffee or a or a lemonade or whatever that is so you know maybe we can use that time to slow down enjoy the world for a couple of minutes leave five minutes earlier before you go to work and have your coffee in the cafe and have a chat to someone connect with another human and then 
jump in the car and, and go to work. Or, you know, if you have your own takeaway coffee cup or juice cup, you can sit down and enjoy it for a little while and then take off. To me, I'd always enjoy eating a meal or having a drink in glass rather than, you know, some little plastic thing that's, you know, then it's going to sit in my car and I've got to figure out how to get rid of it. And like you mentioned before, the recycling system across the world has kind of been thrown into a little bit of a, a frenzy at the moment because China have just recently said that they're not going to take our recycling anymore. And so countries are sort of scrambling to try and figure out what to do with this stuff because before anything that we couldn't deal with uh, we were shipping it to them and now they're not going to take it so are we going to ship it somewhere else or are we going to sort out our own mess so there's a lot of reasons why we need to start thinking about changing the way we do things i also think about with those plastics if these places that are not used to taking them are beginning to refuse them the kinds of changes that that could require in a country or in a region in order to handle that material, because we don't have those resources currently available, or if we're going to start recycling those kinds of things locally, the way that that changes the results for manufacturing and how we as consumers can influence these processes. I think design is definitely going to have to play a role in the way we create these things, and, and if there are ways that we can design products like not only for food in any sort of packaging or any sort of item that we use in our daily lives, ways that it can be designed so that, you know, maybe parts of it can be reused or, you know, it can be disassembled and put back into a, a new product in some way. And, and I believe a lot of companies are looking at doing that type of thing in cars and I've even heard of shoes where they can take part of the old shoe and, and create a new one out of it. So we have to get innovative now, but for ourselves on a small level, we just have to say no to this stuff. And, and I think if we can do that on a, you know, one thing at a time, that will form a habit. And, you know, like we mentioned the straws, like it's probably one of the easiest things to start. Straws or, you know, things like helium balloons, we just don't use those things anymore. And then you do that for a while and it's, it's no longer a thought, it's, it's a reaction. So, And then we, we move on from there. There's a line that comes from my friend Ethan Hughes where he says, to renounce and enjoy. And that may come from Gandhi. I'm not sure. But anyway, in doing so, there's an understanding that making these kinds of choices and deciding to renounce certain things like this doesn't have to have a negative impact on us. And if we're going to really succeed in this, it can't be a chore for people and it can't be something that people dread doing and is difficult and not fun. We need to make it fun and we need to make it easy. And that's part of this, this documentary that we'll, we'll be doing. Like, you know, we're going to try and avoid plastic as we travel. And sometimes we'll succeed and sometimes we won't. And no one's perfect. And you shouldn't feel down on yourself if you fail every now and again. It's just a process that, you know, over time, if we all do it, it will get easier. And it should be enjoyable. You know, like I mentioned, sitting down for a meal, that should be enjoyable meal. Like, and I'm guilty of this too. Running, you know, quickly grabbing something and walking out, out the door while you're eating a sandwich. You know, maybe if, you've, if you're going to spend money to buy some food at a cafe or a restaurant, maybe you should actually think about the cost in, in, your, in your life as well and sit down and go, ah, oh, 
this meal is beautiful and I'm going to sit here and enjoy it. And then, then it's fun. And it doesn't have to take hours and hours. It can literally take 10 minutes to, you know, have the simplest thing like a coffee or a, or a juice. And we can start those processes with something as simple as our morning cup of coffee and then use that as a way to transition and look at other aspects of our life. Yeah, and it's like anything that we've talked about, you know, the same with, with food. You don't necessarily have to be a permaculture expert or, a, you know, a, a green thumb or a gardening guru to grow some mint. You can just, you know, stick it in a pot and add a bit of water every now and again and you've started. And, and I think that's the same with everything in sustainability and with reducing waste. We just have to start somewhere and take that pressure off ourselves that, you know, this whole big problem around climate change and all this sort of thing is like all on our shoulders. I actually, I saw a, I was at a conference the last few days and I saw a really interesting statistic about climate change. And they had this large wheel about everything that was contributing to climate change and how we could, what we could change to fix the issue. I would say that about 25% of that pie chart were food related. So I think, you know, if we're all doing those things, we don't have to concentrate on climate change as the reason why we're doing it. But just know that each little thing that we do is, is contributing to a better future. It's funny you should mention that because that's a conversation that I had earlier today, the day where we're recording this, with Rhonda Baird from Permaculture Design Magazine. And we were talking about the little changes we can make, and it's based on David Holmgren and his presentation at IPC India in 2010 about how few people need to start making these changes for it to have a huge impact. And I think about from my own life as something that's a very small portion of the population, but the audience is familiar with if they've been listening for a while is that I have celiac disease. As a result of that, I'm on a gluten-free diet. And the numbers are somewhere around 1% of people have this disease or some kind of gluten issue. And it's only taken that information getting out into the world, as people have requested more gluten-free foods over the last five years or so, that in that time when I started and first got my diagnosis, there were next to no restaurants offering options that were safe for me. And not many products on the shelves except at the largest or, you know, specialty retailers. Now, just a few years later, there are many, many places to go if I want to eat with friends and they ask me to go join them somewhere. Similarly, we can spread this information and make these kinds of actions when it comes to plastics, other materials and waste, and get those things reduced. If a number of us start making these changes, it can quickly cascade throughout the rest of our community and our culture. Oh, yeah. A good thing that I always think about is I I had a friend who sort of got me interested in plants and things like that a a decade or so ago. And I remember in his his house was at the the bottom of a street, so right in the kind of valley of this street that was high on both ends. And his house was planted fully with trees. And at first, it was just this house and it, it stuck out. There were no other trees and then just this house in the middle. And then over the years, you could see trees kind of creeping up the street as people in that street started to, started to realise that, oh, gee, it's, it's really hot in Australia and maybe we can plant one tree out the front and slowly it just spread further and further up the street. And it's the same with cleaning a beach. Ten years ago when I was picking up plastic on the beach, I don't know if I saw anyone else doing it or if anyone cared why I was doing it. 
Now I get people picking up rubbish and handing it to me so I can put it in my bag or people with their own bags picking up rubbish. So I think you can have a huge influence. You know, standing in a cafe and saying to someone, I don't want a straw, there might be someone behind you who's been thinking about doing this and you influence them and then they could do that tomorrow when they go to another cafe and influence another person. So I think you might not even know your impact and you might think that your little you know, contribution of refusing a straw or having a takeaway coffee cup is tiny. But, but that could be, you know, a hundred times that for all you know. And just by the conversations you have, you know, you mentioned uh, celiac disease or how you, what you're doing with your show in permaculture, like how many people are you influencing? And then people that are, you know, starting the, the gardening journey at home, they're probably influencing their friends who might not have heard your podcast. Yeah, we can also, while we think we're not doing much, we can also possibly underestimate our impact and our reach. You don't have to be preachy about it and annoying, but um, and I've been there. <laughs> but, but you can just, like I said, if you do it in a fun way and you're not hard on people because they're not, you know, doing what you expect of them maybe, it'll just rub off anyway. It's the difference between saying, no straw, please, and still receiving a straw, and just kind of, you know, letting it go, and knowing that you can request another time and continue this process of gentle persuasion, versus receiving a straw and getting upset with somebody about it. The way we can navigate these kinds of things with grace and compassion go so far so that people have a positive experience with creating this kind of change. Yeah, and, and uh, have a laugh about it. That's our plan for this documentary, that that, you know, it will be fun. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when I've travelled to places and, and tried to communicate, you know, getting a, a coconut without a straw, sometimes they get it right away and other times I'm there for 10 minutes trying to explain and doing sign language with my bamboo straw and still comes out with a straw. There's <laughs> no point getting angry at that person about it. It's just, you know, you learn from, you know, maybe what didn't work and how you can communicate it better next time. Now I just get my straw out and I show them what it is. And so, yeah, you know, and if, you, if you're doing that at home in, in your local cafe, you probably only have to do it two or three times and you'll just walk in and they'll know you don't want one. And then if you know the business owner or the staff, you could suggest things to them like not making it an automatic choice. And, you know, by your little conversation there, you might, you know, save them 100 straws a day. You know, and then they might be thanking you in the future. I've even actually seen people come in and donate a dozen stainless steel straws to a cafe and put them on the counter and say, you know, try these. And the business hasn't even had to outlay for them. So it's, it's created a change and the staff start talking about it. And, you know, someone posts a photo of their juice on Instagram with a, this beautiful juice with a stainless steel straw or a bamboo straw. And it's... It's great. People love it. It doesn't matter how we get there, as long as we get there. It's one of the things that, for me, is really important to remember that we're in a time of transition, that there's so much upheaval and so much change and dynamic things occurring right now, that if we embrace this time as one of celebration and movement and energy in this system of social change, that it can be a lot easier to accept the things that we have control over while also being okay with those things that we don't. And you mentioned Instagram, and I think about that because I don't remember if they changed their web interface yet or not, but for a long time, 
the only way you could post or interact with Instagram was through a smartphone. And so there's this other device that we need to have in order to engage in some of these things that we might enjoy. And as someone producing this show and who enjoys photography, I love Instagram and sharing kind of a more personal side of what goes on behind the scenes at the Permaculture Podcast. Doing that, though, you know, requires a smartphone. And I think about the choice that I made in purchasing each of my smartphones. I'm on my third one in, I guess it's eight years or so. And each time it's been about trying to find one that was a product cycle behind, so that I'm not getting the latest and greatest, but the previous generation flagship. So if it's something like the Galaxy S9 that just came out, I'd look for the now discounted but still powerful S8. But in that looking for those features, that I want something that has a user-replaceable battery, so I can expensively swap out and recycle that once it starts to die down. And external storage, so I don't have to rely on just what came with the phone. A protective case to save the screen and body against drops, since, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm kind of clumsy. And in doing so, can get a phone that will last many years despite my best efforts. And that by making these kinds of choices, we extend the life of these products. That because they're so quickly cycled, almost seem disposable. But by making these kinds of changes, we can combat designed obsolescence. And looking at all the devices that are incredibly useful or valuable, that just need a little bit of TLC, and someone willing to watch a video on YouTube and take it apart to replace the battery, and get another five, six, or maybe even seven years of life out of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a super interesting topic, isn't it? That designed obsolescence and, uh, you know, things like washing machines and building in, you know, a key part of its components that's made out of plastic and designed to kind of burn out or melt after a certain amount of time, and then it's cheaper to buy a new one than, than replace the part. Yeah, it's, you know, we can, <laughs> that's another, that's another big, huge rabbit hole, isn't it? But, you know, like, I think what is really good is that, you know, these conversations that, that we're having and, you know, this conference I was at, it was, it was a purpose uh, conference for B Corps and, uh, and other biz- businesses who were there trying to, to be, you know, social enterprises or charities, is that these small companies are making these changes, but it's also meaning that that bigger business who, you know, have a lot of the control of the market are looking at ways where they can compete with these with these small businesses who have ethics in mind. And so doing these things, like you're saying, are going to have impact on, on bigger companies that have the real pull in the market. And I don't think I've ever seen this much excitement now. And, you know, with social media, you know, people, there's a lot, lot of things that people don't like about social media, but I think one thing that's amazing is that it's allowing everyone to tell their story and it's having an impact. We don't have to wait for the news to do a, a story on, you know, reducing waste or, or how you can make the life of your mobile phone last longer. You can just put something on YouTube if you know how to do it and you can do a, a video on Facebook or a blog post or, or whatever and it's, I think these times are really, really exciting and it's the first time I've felt that there is real hope that the world is, is reaching this transition point where there's, there's change in the air and, you know, people are getting onto that and we're influencing, you know, the big guys. I think about similar things that I see coming from a technical background 
all the fix-it videos that are available on YouTube for repairs, and when we're looking for replacement components. For a long time, many of the sealed electronics, the best thing we could do was get a battery, and maybe a screwdriver and a shim tool to tear it apart. But that battery repair was about it. Now you can get screens, speakers, just about any component you need, and there are devices that are sealed in ways I've never seen before that you can get for the $20 price of a battery. The seller will also include all the tools you need to take it apart and put it back together, including the glue or double-sided tape, or even a security screwdriver that you wouldn't normally have because of, you know, how specific they are. But now they're more readily available and generic. And then, even for that repair side, watching the companies that are offering repair or replacement services for their products that become refurbished items in the marketplace. It's, like I mentioned earlier about shoes, it was one of the things that, just a few years ago, I was looking for a good pair of boots, and it became a trial for me to find something, which I finally did from the company Red Wing, their 606 line, and it's entirely manufactured in the United States, from the leather all the way down to the thread. And those shoes are designed so that they can be resold for years on end, and even have the body reconstructed and repaired as the leather wears down. And in some cases, it may be, you know, less expensive to buy a new pair of shoes or boots than to go through these repairs. But for those of us who are interested in reducing this waste stream, there are just so many more possibilities than there were just a few years ago. Yeah, and I think there are, like I said, there are a lot of companies looking to build this sort of thing in. I've seen, you know, uh, sunglasses made out of recycled plastic and you know, going back to glass lenses so that they, they don't scratch and they last a lot longer. I've actually, I, I'm lucky that I run most of the time on sand, so I just run, I just use bare feet. But I, you know, I have a friend who's a serious runner and goes through shoes really quickly. And because I, I'm not a regular road runner, I will, uh, I'll just take his hand me downs. Um, and, and that, and that doesn't bother me. And I'll get another, you know, thousand kilometers out of out of his shoes and and then there's op shops and and what what do you guys call them there you know a second hand second hand store we call them op shops i was just going to ask about that because a friend of mine who attended oxford always referred to charity shops and i had no idea what he meant for probably a year i would just nod my head <laughs> uh, but right up shops charity shops we call them thrift stores or sometimes they're referred to by the company that runs them uh common ones here in the united states are you know, a Goodwill store or a Salvation Army. But then I also know that there are lots of community stores like that. We just had a recent one here in Pennsylvania open a few years ago, and they're very big about making sure that anything that they take in stays in the area. So they're not doing bail bundles and sending them off to like Africa or somewhere else for things that they can't use. They're making sure that everything goes into their stores. And then those items that might not be the best that some of the other stores might refuse, they're just tagging for like 25 cents to a dollar. You can, you know, find amazing things in some of these thrift stores and that I've actually seen clothing that's stained or damaged in some way used for things like punching bags, the rags or, or rags for mechanics. And, and so they're at least getting another use as well. I actually went to a really cool event in Sydney uh, last week or the week before and they, they do these monthly. It's called the Seaside Scavenge. And it's actually a, a beach cleanup where you collect a certain amount of rubbish and from, from the beach or the foreshore, and they give you a token for a certain amount. I think it's 10 pieces of plastic litter, you get a, a token. And then for your tokens, you can then go and use them 
in the, in the little market that they have set up and, and buy clothes and books and things that people have donated. So it was bringing people that were just walking by and thought, oh, I can spend, you know, 10 minutes doing a beach cleanup and, and buy, a, buy a book or something with my, with my token. And the tokens were beer bottle tops. And that's a really great innovative way to, to get people interested in doing something like a beach cleanup. And you know, who, that, but that might be starting a habit. And it's also utilizing clothes that people might just have sitting in their cupboard forever until it, it gets sent to, a, to an op shop. I really like that because it's, it's one of the things that I've been engaged in over the past couple of weeks, really. I um, went with my kids to see one of the American astronauts, Dr. Mae Jamison. And she gave a lecture about the project where she's now the principal, the 100-year starship. And they're trying to use that idea of creating a starship that can travel through interstellar space to another star and planet as a way to look at how we can solve a lot of the problems that exist here on Earth. Because of many of the things that go into having to design or engineer for something that would last that long. It was one of the things that she shared with us. She was talking about a fashion designer they brought in to talk about what it means to construct garments. And she paused for a second and asked all of us, who here can sew? Some of us raised our hands and she said, good, because now you're the only ones who can go on that ship because you need to be able to repair the clothing. If you don't have that skill, you're not of use for the project, for this kind of experiment. And as a larger part of her dialogue, it was about that need to blend the sciences and the arts and how, at least here in the United States, a lot of the conversation has been about becoming a specialist in one area. So if you were good at math and you could paint. It was choosing between being a mathematician or a scientist or an artist or other things like that, where we were dividing people into these little specialized cubbies. And she told the story of how she was a dancer who wanted to be a doctor. And as she had those interests, her mother was like, a doctor can dance, but a dancer can't doctor. And so that was the direction that she went in. But she still participated in the arts and continued to dance even as she became an astronaut and would use those things that she learned as a dancer in her role as a doctor and a chemical engineer. In that moment, while we are all sitting there in the auditorium, she encouraged us, students, parents, and others, to look at all the things that we do, and all of our interests and hobbies, and what are the ways that we can bring those kinds of things forward and be creative again. And I say all that just from that idea of the beer bottle cap, because if you pick up ten items of trash and you get that bottle cap, then maybe you just keep that as a souvenir and reminder of that day that you went out and were part of the cleanup. It becomes a reward in and of itself because of the novelty and the creativity that went into it and the way that these kinds of actions can take people from a diversity of backgrounds and get them involved. To have an artist design a bottle cap for the event and then talking to a local brewery and having them do specialty six-packs and serve at that event and offering those bottle caps as the tokens and just the way that we can bring this all together within our community around one simple thought of a beach cleanup, or maybe, you know, we make it a park cleanup or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, careers were um, one career and you were good at one thing and that's what you did. And you were employed in that career for 25 years and you got your gold watch or, you know, whatever, when you left. And now people are doing, you know, maybe they'll have 10 careers or 20 careers in their life or maybe they'll have two or three businesses going at the same time and then design you know like you said with the the bottle tops well i saw when i was in the states the the growler system with getting takeaway beer 
and taking your own growler and getting it refilled, it's a, that's a design. And the bottles were beautiful glass bottles that I saw in, in Washington. And, you know, it's, I think we, we've become, the more uh, we can kind of spread ourselves among different skill sets and not be just, you know, oh, I'm only good at this. I, I don't have the knowledge to be involved in, in something else that's, like you said, I'm a mathematician or something. I'm not artistic, so I won't get involved in any type of design. But we can all come up with interesting ideas that can solve problems and we can come up with collaborations where different organisations who are, you know, trying to achieve the same goal can have, you know, we can work together and come up with solutions that maybe didn't seem obvious to ourselves if we were on our, on our own. So I think that's, yeah, it's another part of that exciting time where everything's changing and everyone's the media and everyone's a designer and everyone's an artist and, you know, it's, it's amazing. And like that little thing, like a bottle top and doing a rubbish cleanup, well, yeah, like I said, it's bringing in people that might not normally have got involved in a beach cleanup. Yeah, amazing. It really is. And I'm, I'm thinking about the way that I can apply that idea to some of our local parks and to do some cleanups and the breweries and other places around here and the way we can collect donations and set up a little shop like that and, yeah, have fun with it and make it a celebration and something exciting. Yeah, get some local musicians along and and uh, and the, make it a family event. I think they also had some donations from like a small a small brewer, and you could use your your bottle top to get a beer at the at the little shop that was uh, the the little bar that was off the beach. Yeah, so it's even you know for people that aren't very fashionable like myself, you, if you wanted, you could go and use your token to buy a beer as well. That's what makes, um, you know, dealing with, with fashion waste quite easy for someone like me because I just keep wearing the same things over and over. I know that far, far too well. I've really enjoyed this conversation today, Paul, and getting to start this series on looking at what we can do to reduce waste. So I think we may be able to go back to that rabbit hole of planned obsolescence in a future conversation. But with the time that we have left today and our current discussion on single-use plastics and recycling, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? I think I'd just like to say, again, reiterate what I said last time. You know, just don't pressure yourself. Have a go. Have a bit of fun with it. And, you know, see, see what reaction you get from the, from the staff next time you say, I don't want a straw. And become creative and use your creative side when you're next decorating for a party and make some paper pom-poms or, or something like that, you know. I don't know, even know if you know what pom-poms are, but... Is it the same thing in the U.S.? I'm not sure what you <laughs> like a, a paper ball, or, or you know the yeah they call them pom poms, don't they? Where the the cheerleaders shake yes, the yes. yeah yeah so that type of thing, and that, you know they make reusable paper ones that you can hang from the ceiling instead of hanging balloons, and just other ways that we can become creative to minimise our waste, and yeah, and just have fun with it. Don't make it a chore. Don't make it a job, and sit down and drink your coffee in a glass, in a ceramic cup, and then influence your friends to do the same. Well, thank you for that, Paul, and everything else we talked about today. No worries. Great fun. Thanks, Scott. And that was Paul Hellier of Fair Food Forager. Find out more about his regular work at fairfoodforager.com.au and find the Fair Food Forager app in the iOS and Android app stores. If you'd like to find out more about his upcoming ride across Southeast Asia, 
To eliminate single-use plastic, visit pelotonagainstplastic.com. While you're there, watch the intro video where you can see Paul and his writing partner, Jamie LaPree of Environment to Be. Whether or not this is the first episode of the Permaculture Podcast that you've ever listened to, or you've been with me for many, many years, what do you think about this conversation with Paul? And the ways that we both take on this interest in reducing waste in his advocacy towards single-use plastic and my own on repairing and extending the life of technology. In your own life, what have you done or what are you doing to reduce waste? Where are the areas that you find the greatest leverage points for the way that you live and what you do? I'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Give me a call, 717-827-6266. Send me an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or drop something in the post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next interview is my conversation with Victoria Redhead Miller to talk about the legality of craft distilling. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by eliminating single-use plastic, extending the life of your tools and technology, and taking a few minutes to clean up the world around you and take care of Earth, yourself, and each other.